HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Kiva, a Greenhorns partner and nonprofit that has helped hundreds of farmers raise over $2 million in microloans, all without charging any interest or fees. Find out more at us.kiva.org slash greenhorns. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, coming to you today live from Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm here in town preparing for the Our Land 2 Symposium, seven days of programming, uh, right between the Kivira Coalition Conference and the Biodynamic Conference and the Congreso of Ezequias, which is what we're here to learn about as young agrarians in a national community focused on land stewardship, land repair, and land work, we, of course, often run up against questions of land access, land uh, stewardship, and land governance. And so the Asakia system is a tremendous inspiration to us as we strive to learn more about land commons and alternative models that would allow us to access durably the land we cannot afford to buy. The Asakia system, which many of you don't know yet about, uh, is a ditch irrigation commons in which all of the members along the ditch have a right to use the water and share in the responsibilities and work of maintaining that ditch uh, in a very direct democracy kind of a way. So I'm sitting here with Alex Pino in the office of the Santa Fe Farmers Market Institute, which is an incredible groovy office uh, over there, indoor and outdoor farmers market, dedicated to supporting local agriculture in the state. And we're going to have a conversation about Revolution Farm, Young Farmers Coalition, Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, Land Access, Asakias, and the Tool Library. Alex, do you want to just introduce yourself to our fine audience? Yeah. No swearing. Of course. So my name is Alex Pino. I farm a farm that we called Revolution Farm. And we are on no land that we own, but four different properties 
that we lease that are all about 15 to 20 minutes away from our house that we also lease. Um, one farm is a sequia flood irrigated, which is like a traditional New Mexico method of ditch irrigation, which you see a lot in different states around the West, like Colorado and California. And I think a lot of those have been adapted or modernized, and we've kind of stuck with the same ancient technology, which works, and it's not broken, so we're not fixing it. Um, we, let's see, we what also... Do you, what do you grow? Where do you sell? Uh, we sell we sell right here at the Santa Fe Farmer's Market, and we sell to some restaurants directly, and all direct marketing. Um, all vegetables. All vegetables, yeah. At one point, we did grow chickens for eggs, um, but now we're just, uh, just vegetables. Do you want to describe your pathway into agriculture? Uh, yeah, so we started farming very small scale, and I think it still is pretty small, relatively speaking. Um, we started with a little garden and then moved up to just a lot of permaculture kind of beds for, for production, but um, have just tried to find a way to grow commercially without mechanization, without any debt without any land ownership, without a lot of the traditional um, ways of farming, I suppose. So what informs your farm practice? Why do you farm the way you do? I guess. What are you in this for? <laughs> I guess, um, I mean, really my value is just upholding what I think is important and trying to, I guess, prove prove that it can be done, prove that, you know, there is an alternative to just doing it the way it's always been done or, or going with the flow. You know, I think we're kind of going against some things that a lot of people have told me for years, you know, you better buy a farm if you want to be a farmer. And here I am leasing as much land as I can handle, you know, and there's always more land being offered up, but we kind of chose the ones we did for a reason. So let's talk about your land base and how you are situated. Let's talk about your land base and how you are situated and um, what the terms are of the land that you work and how you feel about it. Like specifically what the what the terms are of like leases? And you know, whatever you are happy to have on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, we don't we, – we pay for the house that we live in, but like the land, you know, it's just there whether or not we farmed it, so – I kind of took that upon myself to be like, this is usable land, and we can improve the soil and grow food in it and so that, make money. So that's like the home plot? You were talking about home other, base, yeah. other people are offering you other land and you have multiple sites. Right. Um, so, I mean, we've looked at different properties and not farmed them or farmed them for various reasons. Um, a lot of it's like location. Like if I can be from here to my garlic farm in 10 minutes, that's pretty ideal. Um, some of it is what the landowner wants, you know, if they're real open and easy, then it kind of works for us. If they want to tell us exactly how to do things and how many people could be there and when and what situation we have to, you know, adhere to, then it's kind of like, that's not going to work. Um, how do you handle that negotiating? Uh, gingerly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we just, you know, we're just open and upfront about stuff. And I think what I've heard from a lot of farmers is like, you should have a lease or you should have a memorandum of understanding or you should have different uh, agreement of some kind. Yeah. Like written agreements. And I think the verbal agreement has worked for us really well for all these years. 
Um, How many years? I mean, at our house, we've we just leased that place on a handshake, and it's worked for close to a decade. Where where we live, yeah, and we've like built infrastructure there and done a lot of stuff. You know, we've raised animals there, we've built greenhouses there, we've put up sheds, taken down sheds, rebuilt things. You know, done a lot of basically whatever we want, um, which is nice to have that freedom and not be so tied down to like the traditional constraints of you know thirty year mortgage or whatever. You know, it's like oh, we just pay month to month and it's easy. I don't know. Um, so what are you learning as you're getting more activated? And uh, Alex is very modest. He hasn't yet mentioned that he started the Northern New Mexico Farmers Coalition and works with the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, organizing events, workshops, happenings, mixers, and lately a tool library. But tell me about the dialogue that's happening in within that organizing around land access in Northern New Mexico. I mean, a lot of it, I think, is there's there's like water grabs going on around the state that are kind of frightening. There's land grabs going on that's also pretty frightening, and a lot of people aren't unified in those issues. And like you might have somebody in the southern part of the state that has the same thing going on that we do here, mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily know about each other. So the idea that we're unifying, we're unifying these issues and these people and the and people basically facing the same issues. Um, I think that's pretty powerful. Instead of just being, you know, kind of alone and isolated on your issues, we have a little bit of solidarity with a bunch of people facing the same issues or similar issues working together. Um, but, I mean, yeah, a lot of it comes down to land access being a big thing where farmers are either pushed off their land or some, some life situation happens and then they're not farming anymore, and so that's all really fragile. Or... Um, you know, water grabs where, say, we're farming a piece of land like we are and somebody upstream is transferring water for whatever use that is technically maybe legal, but then all the users of the water that are actually using it for what it was intended for hundreds of years ago are not, not now having access to it. So I think things like that are kind of – would be like the motivation to organize, especially here in a state like this where – we have been kind of a stronghold against a lot of industrialization because of the way the, the geography of our farms is, you know. If you look at a map of, say, Dixon or any of these agricultural valleys, it's, it's these strips from the mountain to the river, you know. So it's, it's not possible necessarily to have these big farms like you see in a lot of places because um, of geographical constraints. Like you can't have huge industrialized monoculture farms here. Just, I mean, there are some, but... For the most part, it's like small family farms. So both, so it sounds like both the geography and the irrigation technology and the demographics and traditions and culture, or all of those are factors in preserving small-scale agriculture in New Mexico and the agrarian lifeways that are so strongly associated with. I feel like our economy, too. Like New Mexico is usually the poorest or second poorest state in the nation. So I feel like a lot of industry doesn't come here because of that. Like it's not California. It's not Arizona. We don't have as much industry. I mean, there's just not, there's not a lot of capital here. I mean, it's 2 million people in the whole state, right? We're going to be talking about on our Asakia walk next, no, not next, the 11th. Oh, golly. 
So next week is the Hourland 2 Symposium, which is basically a really amazing symposium that I organized over the summer while hunched over my computer. And we cover many issues of public trust, wild and scenic rivers, mining on public land, public trust legal defense. We talk about um, privatization of water in Flint, Michigan, and the Owens Valley. We look at land reform efforts in Central California. We have Food First director Eric Holt Jimenez talking about land justice and the kind of adjacent constituencies for agrarian land concerns. We have Eric, and then the same night we have Kim Stringfellow and Rick Prelinger, both of whom are kind of outsider artists, but both very famous each doing landscape interpretation through different uh, media. Um, And we have a a month-long exhibit that I'm just in the middle of installing right now at Better Day Coffee, which is right next to La Montanita Co-op in Santa Fe. And then on the 13th of November, which is a Sunday, we're going to meet up and have an an intergenerational acequia walk um, which is a traditional practice uh, of maintaining a community ditch, is walking the ditch. Uh, and in this case, we're going to be walking the ditch with its longtime mayor domo, Stanley Crawford, uh, and a uh, landscape architect who writes a guide series on interpreting the sequias, and Alex Pino, who's a junior parcientes yeah. uh, on the ditch. And we'll be talking about all the issues that come up with managing an irrigation ditch. How does how does the voting happen? How does the digging happen? What are the conflicts? How do they get managed? You know, what are the community logistics of direct democracy, lo-fi, in person, in a drought? So, Alex, do you want to talk a little bit about what your experience is with Asekias in your farming career and what some of the things are that you think might happen on this walk? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I've only been at the Pecos farm for two, maybe three years. I think this year might be our third year. Um, but that's the only farm out of four farms that we have that is Asakia flood irrigated. So, I mean, yes, I, it's tough because if I lived there, it'd be easier to be irrigating with the flow of the ditch. Like if the ditch is dry and I drive 20 minutes to the farm, I pretty much have to do something else or figure out a way to have my tanks full, which we have worked on. You know, we've got, I think, 2,000 gallons of water just ready to go now. But last year it was more of an issue where if something happened, like there was a bunch of branches in the ditch in the fall, and they just kind of shut it off because they were done growing the hay and we were still growing beets. Um, So stuff like that I think logistically is a little different for everybody depending on the relationship with the people running everything and how it works. You know, if you live there, then it's maybe a little easier to to check on all that stuff. And, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a different struggle to be, you know, commuter farming, I guess. Um, so but do you want to describe some of the other users along your ditch? I would say it's primarily hay growers. I mean, people growing, you know, fodder. Um, we don't have many vegetable growers in Pecos, uh, although it used to be, like, all vegetable, like, small vegetable gardens, basically, Um, maybe a half acre or something. But there's a couple other growers out there, you know, that have helped with kind of, you know, we've got one guy that helps us plant corn because he's got the tractor and the corn planter. Um, 
but it's been it's definitely been a struggle. I mean, it's not easy to just come in and start farming someone's land that they've always seen used a certain way, and then you know we have a little some issues with some neighbors, and we work them out, and they work themselves out, or whatever happens there. So, so some of our listeners might have seen that beautiful Robert Redford movie called uh, the Milagros Beanfield War, which is free on the internet and a great watch that a little bit goes into some of the dynamics that uh, are at play. Um, one of the speakers at the Biodynamic Association conference session that Agrarian Trust has organized is um, uh, Bill Dubuis, who has been a longtime uh, documenter and ditch user um, and kind of in the era of who's the, who wrote a book called Mayor Domo, who is another Back to the Lander, kind of similar to that movie, coming okay, to these... Some good stories from back then. Yeah, back in, back in the day, coming with long hair into a predominantly Hispano-Indigenous agricultural context. Um, but the, the prospect of protecting the ditches and even expanding the ditches um, is entertained by legal scholars and activists in the Asikia community, um, even expanding the ditches to include legally their uplands, their headlands, the mesas, the water drainages which support them, um, is obviously uh, would be the, com- the happy the happy ending we could want for a shared water resource. Um, of course, on the other side of that, there's privatization of ditch rights the sale of ditch rights out of the system and the diversion of water away from agriculture and into ski sites and condos and other kinds of development. I mean what we're fighting right now in what we're fighting right now in Pecos is um, actually water being transferred for I don't know what I mean it's basically for hunting habitat so it's like recreation what do you call that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's uh, elk or something. So they're so they're transferring the water from the historical agricultural valley out to the mesa where it is being used to create habitat for basically I don't know if you call it trophy hunters or like out of state kind of you know for fun like it's not it's not a sustenance thing it's it's just for oh the poor cowboys who now have to run a concierge money. service <laughs> I mean yeah but it's it's economy I mean they're creating jobs I'm sure but they're but they're basically taking that water away from the valley and removing it for eternity. So let's talk about why is it important for young agrarians to gather together the constituencies that are alongside us, i.e. the local food community, conservationists, people concerned with wildlife habitat, people concerned with local land use. Why do we need to be in coalition with our team how can we stop these things from happening? I mean, at least you're stronger together. Like I said, I mean, there's a there's a water grab going on right now in Catron County, and then I think there's another one going on in, um, well, Pecos, and then there's one in, there's a third one up north. I can't remember the name's, is it El Rito? Not El Rito. What is it? No, north of, it's like Anton Chico, which I think is, also on the Pecos, but... Where can people learn more about that or what other groups are working on those issues that they could learn from? Um, 
Let's see. I mean, we're trying. We have a lawyer to help right now, but we're trying to get funds for that. And then, I mean, the farmers union, the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, is helping. I think with the one down south in Socorro. Um, and Anton Chico, I'm not sure exactly who does it, but um, we're I, we have contact information with person up there. We just haven't been to the meeting. So if people are in northern New Mexico who are listening then they could join your coalition and get on your listserv and hear about what's gossiping and some events. Yeah. And they do that through where? Our Facebook page is probably the best, which is on Facebook. Uh, I think it's just Northern New Mexico Young Farmers Alliance. Yeah, facebook.com slash all one word, Northern New Mexico Young Farmers Alliance. And tell us about some of the activities that you have been doing and planning, especially about your tool library. Uh, yeah, so we've been sharing tools and playing with the idea of that, but also work, yeah, I mean, we've been working with uh, greenhouse pipe vendors to build greenhouses, um, seeders for seeding vegetable crops. Um, I mean, this is the stuff we have now. We have like a plow, um, a greens harvester, so we're looking to expand on that and kind of meet the needs of our members. So it's basically what we all need together, then we figure out how to get. And I have one of those cool Japanese cedars I could throw in the mix. Yeah? You know that little yellow one? Oh, nice. Yeah, I think we're going to buy one of those pretty soon. Well, we're supposed to get a bank account like this week if we can um, with the well, farmers. If you and guys buy the seed. The plates. The plates. Is it? Yeah. Then it can be part of your library. Exactly. I mean, that's the idea. Yeah. Is like so. Some individuals have donated tools. Some tools are like maybe physically too large to just have in circulation, so they maybe stay at one. Like the pipe mender is mounted to a big wooden thing just for leverage, so that stays at the farm in Vegas. But if you need it, it's there, and we just have those resources available there's for a, everybody. There's a really awesome farm community um, in Vashon Island that has a chicken plucker that goes around. Chicken, yes. chicken plucker plus folding table plus scalder. We have a chicken plucker, too. They have a chicken plucker. Uh, New Mexico just raised you, Washington State. <laughs> it's not great. It's a whiz-bang, but it does work, and I think we can put, like, two turkeys in there at once and three chickens, I think we've done. Right? Melissa's shaking her head. It we did great. three chickens at once, Easy. and two turkeys kind of bounce off each other. It's perfect. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the young farmer scene in New Mexico. It sounds like this is where you've always farmed yeah. and that you grew organically out of a garden into being a farmer, and you didn't do the apprenticeship circuit, and you never fell in love with any other landscape than this? Yeah, I did spend – so my mom is from a farming family in Wisconsin, and I did spend a lot of summers, I want to say, being punished maybe at my uncle's farm. Like I'd be sent away there to like – you know, go go help your uncle and we don't want to deal with you kind of thing. But I uh, I don't know. I guess it stuck because it was – we'd do farmer's markets super early in the morning and go harvest corn and, you know, be it – he had – it wasn't really a farmer's market because he had, like, one lot where he would just set up his one truck and he was the only farmer. So it was very different. Um, I think he does a lot of commodity crops. And, like, for the cannery, he grows stuff. But 
I mean, that was kind of, I guess, my introduction to, like, big ag. And then we always had a garden growing up because, you know, I mean, my mom left the farm, but she still had some of it in her, you know. So she was always growing tomatoes in our little suburban yard and canning every fall. So, um, yeah, but New Mexico, I think, was really a different take on all of that. Like, if if I were to stay in the Midwest, I think there would be probably no way I'd be farming. Hmm. Because here the culture is more friendly towards it. I don't know if it's. I think it's more just what I what I took from my experiences living out west, away from all that like influence. Because I've got a lot of beekeepers in our family, and like they've always told me, "We'll get you some hives, or we'll we'll come help you do this, or set up that." And they always like want to like impose their own way. idea, yeah, their own way of like how they do things. And I'm I'm kind of like wanting to find my own way and, like, make my own mistakes and figure it out for myself. Like, if someone tells me something can't be done, I might go ahead and try to do it that way anyways, just to either prove them wrong or be like, oh, they are right, actually. So, so I don't know. So direct data. Yeah, some serious experiential learning, too, you know, where it's like <laughs> mess something up and hopefully figure out the value that that now you know you definitely don't want to do it that way, but there might be a little way to tweak it to make it work. But, but no, I mean, we've, we've farmed on – some very non-agricultural land from the way the system would look at it and produced commercial crops on it and made a living now for a couple years doing it. And, you know, I think that's kind of why it's Revolution Farm is you can kind of do it anywhere. I mean, that's that's what we've been toying with and trying to get the infrastructure figured out where it's not super capital intensive, you know, like, and I think a lot of that speaks to the tool library where it's like you can't do it by yourself. I mean, you can, but it's more difficult. So we're trying to make things simpler. And I think looking back at, like, my own history, like, I don't want to have other people struggle as much as I did, even, like, a little bit. I mean, it's been, it's, been a, it's been a struggle to get this far, and I think we still have a long way to go as far as production goes. Like, we can figure out those systems a little better, and we, we always are. So, Can you talk about the spirit of the struggle? The spirit of the struggle. Well, I mean, you're always so happy-go-lucky. <laughs> and yet and yet, you're farming in a limited water environment on rented piecemeal land by hand. So people would say, is this guy like, you know, maybe he should be a guru or some kind Eternal of... Eternal optimist. <laughs> Eternal optimism. Well, me and my friend, that and my friend helps me a lot, and we always say, like, it'll take an hour. It'll take an hour. And everything does not take an hour even though we always say it takes an hour. And I think we're starting to learn that some things might take more than we thought. And everything, you always, I don't know, you always catch hiccups along the way. And I mean, even yesterday, I think I had three flat tires on my trailer. So town was like a whole ordeal of going to the tire shop two times in two days. Um, but yeah, keep it optimistic. Never say die. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's always something to look forward to. I don't know. You can't, I don't know. They don't grow very much wine in New Mexico, unfortunately. They used to. Oh, really? Or they, I mean, they do a little bit, but I think there used to be more vineyards that were cupped up. There's very good beer here. Yeah. That helps with well, the optimism. Well, we're not going to drive ourselves to drink, but uh, it is always an option we have on the table and actually often has a much better profit center than, than food. And do they buy you? Do they buy food from you? Any of these breweries? Um, 
Yeah, some of them sometimes. I just don't I don't really like go after restaurants. It's more like they come to me and then that's fine. Like I'm I don't know. Some some growers have a better time direct marketing right to restaurants and dealing with their schedule and I just like to show up to the markets and if the chef shows up to buy stuff, even better, you know, but I don't I don't really I don't solicit it, you know. So but sometimes, yeah, I mean for sure. So I'm going to circle back and remind us all what we're here to promote, which is the Asikia Walk, intergenerational, four hours, starts at noon, and the Santa Fe Depot, where the train yard is, there's parking there. We're all going to carpool over to Dixon. We're going to walk along the ditch with Stan, Emily, Alex, and Basket Weaver Bob. And we're going to have kind of a free-flowing dialogue along the ditch that's been flowing. These ditches have been flowing here for 400 years. And it seems like just about time for us all to understand what goes into traditions that can last that long without computers and with a um, serving small farmers, direct democracy. Anything else you want to add about your upcoming events or goals or needs? I want to make sure everyone who's not able to come in person to our Seiki Walk knows that we will have all of our programs from that week videotaped and audiotaped, as are all of the last symposium programs at Our Land, Our Land 1 and Our Land 2 at agrariantrust.org, where you can also find really amazing, took us a few years to do it, nationally important collection of land access resources for people who are leasing, people who are renting, people who are in transition, people who are trying to find someone to lease their farm, um, find someone to buy out part of their enterprise, looking for partners in enterprise development and diversification, et cetera, et cetera. Really have worked hard to be a good shopping spot for all your land access quandaries. Of course, you cannot click for land access, but you can read a lot and help inform the actions that you take in person. Any final thoughts, Alex? Yeah, I would just say everyone should try to kind of band together and work cooperatively, even if it's not a formal co-op, but just I think it's been helpful to even just find people that are a little bit like-minded and even people that maybe resist at first. I mean, people are coming around now after me doing this for a year, and they're like, you're still doing that? Okay, and then they're kind of jumping on board. So I just think keep at it and, and find people that are on board with what you're doing and organizing in a grassroots way around these issues that are really big and I think important for not just the future of our food system, but like, I mean, jobs and economy and corporatization and land use and water and all the stuff that's really like huge that is hard to even think about sometimes and maybe overwhelming, but yeah. Organize, get together. Yeah, the intense bonding that comes from shared commitment takes time but is stronger than money, stronger than blood, stronger than water. Shared struggle too, right? Like people that are going through the same thing but don't necessarily know it and they feel alone. You know, it's like these water grabs. Up until I think last month we had a meeting where, where we figured out that there were three of these things going around and instead of fighting one of them, we could maybe fight the law that's allowing this. You know, so just, yeah, trying to change the system from the inside out. You can learn a lot more about acequias through a couple groups, the New Mexico Acequia 
Coalition Association, the New Mexico Asequia Association, and the Asequia Institute, which is out of Colorado. Both of those have great lists of resources. There's about 10 really good books get for cheap and read, and there's fun movies that we posted on the Ourland website Facebook page. And we have run out of time to promote Asequias. Congratulations, everyone, on another episode of Greenhorns Radio, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Still my love for you.